Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. What's happening, crew? I'm glad to have you plugged in. Thank you very much for joining me on another episode of Chat with Traders podcast. On this particular episode, I have with me Mark Gardner. Mark's someone who began working in the field at just 17 years old, straight out of high school. Initially, he began with back office duties before breaking on the floor of the Sydney Futures Exchange or SFE. Then later, he was picked up by a very large bank bills trader to exclusively execute trades, and he learned a great deal from this particular trader. Around 2005, Mark began trading his own book. Over the 10 years that followed, Mark had only two losing months, and to date, he's never encountered a losing year. Though in 2015, he did suffer a substantial blow, losing months and months worth of gains in the space of just a few short hours, which you'll hear more about during the episode. Today, Mark is also a partner and the chairman of Genesis Trading, one of the larger prop firms in Australia, and he's also leading a new venture, 42 Trading, as a foray into quantitative trading, which currently consists of himself and a couple others. Also worthwhile of a mention is that Mark is the president of the Australian Securities Traders Association too. Now, throughout this episode, we speak about Mark's insane work ethic, and no, that's no exaggeration. We also get into lessons from his past, why he sees a future in quantitative trading, and plenty more. Here is my interview with Mark Gardner. Now, Mark, listeners won't know this, but we were actually supposed to record this uh, episode uh, about 24 hours ago. Uh, so I jumped onto Skype. I was uh, hanging around waiting for you, and... Um, you sent me a message a couple hours later to say that you'd just kind of woken up and it was about 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon uh, and you told me you'd just wrapped up a 50-hour or somewhere, somewhere around 50-hour stint. I mean, what, what's the deal? What- <laughs> uh, essentially, it's a, it's a rollover period in the Australian market, which is a fairly profitable period for me generally in the past. And there's a lot of opportunity over that period and, and I'm sort of trying to wrap up for a – 
basically one of uh, one of my first sort of extended three week break from the market in terms of switching the screens off and actually going and and spending a lot of some dedicated time on on the other projects. So there was a, a sense of urgency in terms of trying to tie things up towards the end of the week. And but you know it's I've got four children, which gave me a, a good boot camp in, in sleep deprivation anyway. But I, I tend to do I'll do stints in, as opposed to if the market's good. I'll keep going and then I'll, but you know, I'll, I'll conversely have you know a long sleep afterwards instead of you know, instead. So it's just a, it's just a different routine. I don't. I just, that's a that's an extreme example, but I, I have a like a strike system where sort of laminated poster on the wall, which I, you know, if if I make three mistakes, errors, or poor any sort of poor judgment, and even including. Things of you know, if I miss a trade or um, I'm, I'm starting to to drop in, in terms of sharpness, or if it, once I've got three three strikes, I, I basically wrap up immediately and go. So, but I'll, I'll I'll try and sort of like ride ride a hot streak if I can, particularly when it's busy. So I, I you know I've been in front of the screens for 20 years, and I, my autopilot tends to tends to be pretty solid in terms of instinctive trading. So it's not something that's it's not pleasurable by any means. It's not something I really want to be doing, you know. So these periods during rollover, these are like prime time opportunity for you? Traditionally, it has been. In the last four quarters, my performance has actually dropped. And it's mainly technology-based in forms of stops and things. But in doing the analytics, there's there's a certain period where it started to become diminishing returns for me. But obviously, with interest rate markets and and having people having to move positions further out the curve or having to having to roll three-year and ten-year bond positions, it's the you know. It is an, the largest collection of, of traders who don't normally trade the market. They're not. They're on different. They're the people who are on different time frames who don't necessarily, who aren't necessarily tick sensitive. So you can get someone who doesn't normally trade our market who just want and who just wants to roll their position and get out. So you know you can. I've, I've always been a you know relative value trader generally. So you can. Take advantage of those those short term aberrations, where you know which which have been basically forced by people having to move their positions to the next contract. So, and how often is the rollover? It's every quarter in Australia, and it usually it, it varies in in length. Sometimes it'll be a, a short period of time, you know, maybe four days. It's a you know FIFO market here, like first in first out queue position sort of thing. So, given that I've basically been a screen trader for twenty years. And have a you know a fairly niche knowledge of the market. It's you know, there's it's a good time to sort of take. It's an it's an edge that, that I have um, because of my experience. Okay, so I probably should have asked you this prior to asking that last question, but just so everyone is is clear on this, what markets are you actually predominantly trading? Short term interest rate. So I used to trade uh, Australian sort of bank bills in sort of butterfly and or double butterfly structures. So essentially. Um, yeah, they're fairly non-directional, and they're, they're essentially they're taking advantage of a price aberration over long periods of time. So you you generally you have six to maximum eight point range in these strategies, but they're you know they're multi they're very much multi-legged, so they're they're fairly stable. So you do them in larger size, but there's been a um I've sort of moved away from that in the last oh, year year and a half. You know the ranges have started to compact a little bit, and realistically the um. Australia was pretty late to the party in terms of having um, you know, HFT and computerised and algorithmic trading come into our market because we're one basis point to a point as opposed to, say, bonds might be seven or eight. I think 10-year notes are two and a half or something or thereabouts. 
So the cost of execution is too great in, in terms of fill risk. So whereas in the markets that have got you know, smaller increments, the systematic trading tends to do a lot better because it reduces the amount of um, risk if you have to take another point or if you miss a stop. So we've kind of been insulated somewhat, but it's yeah, there's there's a definite um, there's been a definite increase in in that um, sort of you know, computerized execution and trading coming in the last eighteen months, and and I've, I sort of made the decision to to move to a more sort of quantitative and and statistical based trading uh, in in line with you know what was the the people that I'm competing against. So yeah, I mean that's something I definitely want to speak to you about. So. As we've kind of already touched on your work ethic, I actually just want to go into that a lot more and then let's get more into your trading because I'm very impressed by it. I don't know if it's something that I particularly want to try and adapt to myself and I don't know if it's something that others should should necessarily adapt for themselves. It's not something that's necessarily I enjoy adapting to my to my trading either. So, it's not an ideal thing and lifestyle-wise, obviously not not the greatest thing either. Have you always had this kind of work ethic, like the willingness to put in such long hours and like excessively long uh, stints behind the computer? Is that something that uh, you've had kind of since day one when you were starting out trading or is it kind of just evolved? My parents, sort of, you know, fairly blue collar, worked seven days a week and I guess wasn't really a, um, I just had a that was just what what we did, you know. And I didn't, um, I don't, you know, I, I never really realised that people went on holiday. You know, I, they, my father I think took went for thirteen years straight or something without a without a sick day or a or a leave day or something, you know, ridiculous. So it's just an example set by you know a very my parents were you know were very hardworking, and then I actually enjoy what I do as as, as difficult it is, and sometimes psychologically. Debilitating or uh, or tough it, it can be. I I still enjoy trying to work it out, and I'm and it, it's also I'm not exactly after 21 years. I'm, I'm not like you know I've seen the, the life cycle of traders because I've only generally worked at smaller shops or prop shops or uh, but used to call locals on the floor where it's been all individual traders, and you know there's there's very few that make it into their mid to late 40s. And, and or in you know or beyond. Um, I mean, there's a and there's a few that do, but it's not the average. So it it sort of is a um, trying to take you know take advantage of um, squeezing the squeezing the last blood out of the stone in terms of um, you know what I what I perceive as the winds of change and, and with with my edge like my my execution, my legging skills, and things like that have been extraordinarily good over over the years. But it, you, I'm you know I'm slowly seeing that edge disappear, and I'm trying to you know, manage my own trading whilst also um, I've got a team of young guys who I'm, I'm developing the more systematic stuff with. So it's really a, um, I mean, the 50 hour shift thing, that's, that's, a, that's an absolute rarity, but I'm basically, I'm almost doing two jobs at the moment and, but I have, that's what I have to do to manage the transition and, and it really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly bothered by it. I enjoy work and it's not really, a, it's not really a, a chore in terms of I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying, I'm trying to work out the next phase and things like that. And yeah, it's not, not a, um, yeah, it's not a big deal to me, but it's, it's, I get a little lectures about it, but yeah, it's not definitely not for everyone though. I mean, realistically, a lot of young guys who've come up, um, who should trade next to me, I'm very wary of that, that sort of three strike rule for, and particularly for them, like their decision making process, because 
old bull syndrome where they you know try to keep up and they don't they don't have the uh, the I guess the the hardwired experience just to go on autopilot or you know they also haven't been been through um you know, four four babies in the house keeping you up all night either so it's just it's more something you get used to. Okay, now now speak to us about this autopilot. You know how you describe this as autopilot because I actually. I know a good friend of yours, Darren Reed, who was recently on the podcast also, I told him that I was going to be interviewing you and this is actually one of the things he told or suggested that might be good to ask you about is like, you've described your trading to him as though you go on autopilot at times when you put in these long hours. How are you able to do that and and where does that come from? Like, what do you mean when you're trading on autopilot? Basically, because it's it's a um it's a more of a high volume, low range sort of scenario. It's very much I'm mindful of um, even how I've set up my screens in terms of fields of vision, like all the most important things and all the possible cheats in, in looking at the market and conditional formatting on spreadsheets and things to give me visual triggers to do a trade very swiftly. And having making sure that I have things in in the same spots, and I essentially have, I mean, twenty one years. I think we worked it out the other night. It's like eighty eighty thousand hours plus sitting in front of screens. So it, it's just time more than anything else. And it's almost like a say the same about a, like a gamer. What might be reflexes or or pattern recognition of I've, I've got to say you know, similar charts. I've had the similar um, quote spreadsheet set up that I look at the entire strip and then I've got the same charts next to those and then those have been in the same position on my screens for 15 years essentially in, in, in slightly different variations but that consistency of being able to see things out of the corner of my eye and then then that's you know that's in the center of my of my vision field and then I'll, I'll go further out to um, you know for things that are more that, that are sort of second of second uh, secondary importance like you know it might be currencies or if we're trading on the back of crude or gold or whatever and then those charts and those indicators will be those, that further out and then all my longer term stuff um, you know two-year charts and things like that on on certain sort of structures will be on peripheral screens so it basically everything's within reach if I need to and then I've but all it's the consistency of having the same the same market basically and the same charts that the, the, the level of pattern recognition essentially is you know has become fairly instinctive okay that's really incredible to hear that you've worked out like an approximate of how many hours you've put in over the last 15 20 years and eighty thousand hours that's a that's a lot of screen time yeah yeah I don't hold out hope, too much hope for my vision in my in my 60s but, yeah, <laughs> but you know. what are some of the things you've done to try and avoid burnout like is there anything you've consciously done not particularly I find I've got a you know I've got an active mind so I've tried things like meditation courses and etc and it, it sort of more it has a, almost a reverse effect like if I'm stimulated I, I you know I'm I'm fairly relaxed and as long as I'm you know, spending time with you know, allocate time for for my family and and doing things with my daughters and and it's not um, I'm I'm not this I'm, I don't feel comfortable sitting on a beach or reading a book like I, I'm actually enjoy being stimulated and learning new things so it's not it's not a burnout factor for me it's not it's you know it, and I'm working for myself so it's not um, there's motivation obviously if I was working I obviously wouldn't be working anywhere near these hours if I was working for someone so there's a motivation there to you know, to be innovative and try to find new things and improve my, you know, improve my trading or and basically uh, find new ways if you enjoy it or, or I wouldn't say love it 
Or, but if I, I, I sort of, if you feel as though it's, um, you know, it stimulates you and it's, it's engaging, then I, I think burnout's less of a, it's, well, it's less of a, much less of a factor for me. So, but if, if I had to do a repetitive, a very repetitive job and I was working for someone else and there was, you know, in, on a career path, then I, I would certainly be very susceptible to burnout. So, it, yeah, it's not, it's, it's more the fact that I'm lucky that I found something that it, I, I, it suits my personality in a way. Now, I know you said a little earlier that these 50-hour stints is not something that you do too frequently, but, you know, especially around uh, rollover periods, it is something that you you do do. And Tony, one of the guys who works for you, uh, he actually made me aware of you. He he reached out, um, he listens to the podcast, and he suggested that you'd be someone well worthwhile speaking to. And he told me he's seen you trade for like three days straight once. You know, how do you actually stay awake for this long? <laughs> I think three days straight is an exaggeration. And he's also, he goes home and I get naps, you know. So, you know, I, yeah, power naps essentially. So, I, I guess the, yeah, the this, this story doesn't really fit the reality in a, in a way. But as much as you're focusing on it, it, it is definitely not something that most people can do, nor would I recommend it. It's not a, um, it basically due to the, this, you know, the intense repetition over such a long period of time that I can do, but it is like I'm, I'm not, um, it's not definitely not something that I would, I, I would, I would steer people towards. I tend to not potentially not use my time efficiently sometimes, or, but then I also will take, you know, I'll take a, a day off during the week um, quite regularly after I've done a, a long stint. So it's not something I t- tend to wear as a badge of honour. I'll use it sometimes for you know, motivation to the mentees that I'll, I'll speak to or whatever, but nothing more than to get them to sort of harden up a little bit. But I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the, like, I wouldn't call it my greatest, greatest attribute. It's the, having the ability to, you know, to basically like, almost almost mindlessly just repetitively execute. It is basically, it's just hours and it's, it's experience and it's, and you just get, it's like a, almost like a fitness. You just get used to it. And like I said, then I, and I've got a system for my concentration breaks and things, um, to, to make sure that I don't take it, you know, I don't take it too far, which is born out of pushing it too far. Yeah. That system of yours where if you make three reasonable errors, I shouldn't call them reasonable errors, but if you make three errors, then you, you call it quits for the day or for that that session. You know, even if someone who's listening to this isn't trading for long periods like you do from time to time, do you think that might be something worthwhile adapting for themselves, like maybe a day trader? Yeah, it's, it's much more mistakes. Like if I, even if I miss something, even the smallest of trades, like if it's it's basically three almost drops in standard. It's not. They're definitely, it's definitely not errors. It's, it's, it's most. You know, if if I miss a trade that I know that I would have normally got, or if I um, or you know, if I miscalculate something, or if I scratch a trade I shouldn't have scratched, or it, it, it's a really um tight, high standard of things because it, it it's such an efficient. The market's so efficient these days, and you can it's like you're competing against and the best people in, the, in our in the Australia, you know, in, the, in our market. So you can't really afford to be half-assed so it's definitely something you could adapt to you know, a day trading thing because i think you probably would for a say for a day trader i think you'd probably extend the time frame for depending on how long the time frame is for your um for your trading 
So just setting setting yourself a, a standards essentially, and having a, a rules where you, you it triggers a point of review or a point of um, not necessarily stopping the point where you have to you have to step away. I think is a, is a very good idea because there's there's a definite tendency. I've noticed with you know particularly you know, intense professional traders is that you work harder when you're doing badly and you tend to work less when you're doing well, which in if you think about it, it's quite insane because in a period where you're statistically doing worse, why would you um, put yourself in front of the screen more? And it's you know it's um have but having those rules um, preset to try and avoid. Overworking when you're when you're not seeing it, or you the market conditions don't see you, or or actually or getting lazy because things are going well when you should be actually probably putting your foot on the gas and and taking advantage of a, of a period where you're, you're doing really well, you know, is re- I think is really important and it's a, it's a very common thing that happens to a lot of traders that 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 whole reverse hours to to success rate. So yeah, I really like that idea. I mean, it's such a like a simple rule, but it could be also very effective. And um, I mean, I'm sure it's probably saved you a lot of money over the years. Yeah, but it's also it's really important to set it like in a neutral state. Like a lot of people will go and uh, a lot of guys I've met, they'll you know you have a bad day and you go and set a whole new bunch of rules, and you tend to do that in a negative frame of mind, and you know, even. Even I, I sort of fixed up some. Someone sent me through a, um, a list of process um, rules the other night, and you know, red red heading, and it was all about don't, don't, not, and it's not, you know, because you're angry about the fact that you've lost, and so just even you know, changing the a more passive colour to the you know to the text and removing the making the um, the points a bit more constructive because the next time you need them. <laughs> you, you know, you don't need a piece of you know you don't need a piece of paper on the wall that's effectively barking at you because you're you're already under the pump. It would make you feel worse. So it, it's I think it's really important to to do it, set these rules in a neutral mindset and not as a not as a reactive measure. So and people generally are sensible enough to know what to do. I think where people become emotionally unstuck is is, is that it's the assumption that I'm sensible, but you're always. It's, I think Mike Tyson had a great line that. You know, everyone's got a everyone's got a great um, plan for the fight until they step in the ring and get hit. And when you're basically trying to compensate for periods where you're not in your in your best frame of mind, it's best not to make a plan when you're in that mode. Um, and and also try to keep positive in terms of your the rules because it, you, you tend to lean on them when when it's a bad period and you need that little bit of positive light to to help you. Just drag you out of a you know, you know bad psychological state. So it's um you know words like yeah words like don't do this like you know it's I don't think it's very helpful. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Mark, kind of skipped over this at the start. I normally open the interview by talking about this, but no harm uh, switching the order up. So, tell us a little bit about how you actually got into trading because we haven't heard much about your backstory. So, I think you got into trading or financial markets at least straight out of high school. I think you're about 17 years old. Tell us about how you got your start. I mean, we won't spend too much time on this, but just for a bit of context, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear your backstory. Essentially, I, you know, in Australia, in in your third last year of high school, you you know you have to do work experience, and um, it was just a, a family connection who knew someone who worked in, worked on the trading floor, and at you know, 14 years of age, I walked down onto the floor and had to collect the chits, the docket, the dockets that all the traders wrote on, and I'm you know it's, just, it's a very much a case of you know, being in awe of the bright lights, and I went. This is absolutely what I'm going to do. So I literally went back every every three to six months. I get in the school holidays for the next few years because I just you know this is I was not necessarily obsessed but just enthralled. Everyone always has a you know romanticizes the floor because it's exciting, it's it's chaotic, and it's yeah it's fairly intriguing to most people. Then you know as a 15, 14, 15 year old kid, you're just like wow. So, and then I literally five days out of five days after my last exam, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously I got a job with the company that I can done continuous work experience or, or short stint internships, I guess you could call it. Yeah, and started five five days after my last my last high school exam, and and I think I was just, I was just seventeen and oh, what, three months old or something like that. So um, it was uh, I think I, I got my breaking license before I could buy a beer. So it was strange that I could advise on futures and not buy alcohol, but. I think that says a lot that you were doing work experience because I did a stint of work experience when I was still in school and I remember when school holidays came up, I told them I I couldn't come in because it was school holidays and I didn't want to be going in doing work experience. But sounds like for you, you know, work experience was unpaid and you were still willing to go there during your school holidays. Did I catch that right? Yeah, yeah. It was something I definitely wanted to do and, and, you know, small. I grew up in a small country town and... And you know the the options were were generally like fairly limited in terms of having to stay stay up there. And I I wouldn't say I'm the most studious person. I I have a very large thirst for knowledge, but I don't like reading, so I do a lot of audio books and things like that. But so university wasn't really a um, difficult to do a degree when you you don't like books. Okay, so when you turned seventeen and you got this job after school. What actually was that job doing? Were you working on the exchange floor, or were you doing something else? Initially, I was, just, you know, it was mailroom. Um, it was the time before email, so I still had to fi- I had to fold statements into envelopes for the clients and, and run errands and be a runner down to the floor occasionally. And then probably about six months in, I, because I had one of the old MS DOS computers, and when when I was younger, we were, you know, the market was sort of it was about ninety six, I think. So they were moving to, moving towards screen trading, and I was very quick and on the keyboard. So I, I essentially ended up just gradually 
drifting into the overnight broking department of the company. And I was I was cheap and took a lot of orders and, and with no errors. So that's where I ended up being. So and in those days, no one, you know, guys would come off the floor and and be trading at night time. So no one had their own terminals. And so you, as a broker in those days, you, you actually took quite a, you know, a large number of orders because no one, no one could self-execute. So. so, I believe that at some point after, I'm not sure how long you, you kept this up for, but at some point, a fairly big trader, I'm not sure exactly what this, what this man traded, but he came along and sort of scooped you up and you started working for him. Can you tell us a little bit about how that played out? Essentially, I was I was executing for this guy on a on a broking disc on a, on a give up basis, um, and he yeah he, we basically did a deal on exclusivity, and I worked basically I worked for him, I him and him only. He traded stuff yeah with this way I learned a fair bit of methodology of what I do. It's same market, slightly different. You know, over time I've I've sort of developed my own my own style, but yeah, it's yeah short term interest rate Australian market, bank bills, three year bonds, and things like that. So he's a very very tough, um, strict, which was very good for me because having a, you know being instantly successful, at being quick on the keyboard at a young age, bred a certain arrogance, I suppose, and he you know, he just he set the standard higher again. It was very it was very difficult working for him, but it was but. If I had my time again, I'd definitely, I'd do it. You know, I'd do it again because it really taught me about basically you can't ever, you know, you can't ever let your process drop. You can't ever drop your standards. You can't ever, you know, we'd, we'd make money in the morning and we'd miss a small trade in the afternoon and he'd, he'd be furious and he's like, well, you, know, you can't, you can't base inefficiency just because we did well this morning doesn't mean you, you know you've got an excuse to miss that no matter how much it is. Like it's, a, it's an uncompromising set of standards which I am. Um, yeah, you know, I've sort of has held me in very good stead. I think um, down um, if, in future, really. So, yeah, but albeit very, um, albeit very, very tough. But it was probably, it was something I think I needed. Yeah, I mean, obviously, looking back on it now, it, it seems like something that was very beneficial at the time. I mean, how did you how did you take it? I did a lot of running, <laughs> and uh, basically, and. I, I guess I didn't. I, I, maybe in my heart of hearts, I knew that I probably, I probably needed a little bit of a like that it was going to be beneficial down the line. I don't really know, but it was because he was, he, it, it wasn't. It was a high set of standards. Not a, it wasn't. You know, he was a he was a very good bloke, and he was and he, and he looked after me. But it was so it was the unpleasant nature of it was not malicious. It was just you know watching someone with consistent, significant hunger. It was you know it was. In hindsight, being yelled at was was unpleasant, but it was you know I mean it's it was also fairly inspirational because it was just it was relentless, which was it was pretty impressive to watch. What were some of the standards like? Obviously, not missing trades and not missing opportunities. I mean, are there any other standards besides what we've already sort of spoken about? It was concentration primarily, and essentially always performing at. You know, at bad peak level, there's, you know, there's um, when there was time off, there was time off, have a um, lunch or something, and that was, you know, that was, but when you're at work, it was like, you know, where I guess it was almost like you know, an elite sportsman in a way. Like, we, if we're here, we're doing this like uh, at a thousand percent, and there can be no, there can be no mistakes, and yeah, so it, yeah, it was um, from anything from just, Process of managing my book, uh, developing um, it was as in his order book, 
you know, developing spreadsheets or, um, or or ways to to um, better represent positions, so we could do it we could do it faster than the rest of the market. Um, making sure that I had you know, all, you know, just keeping an eye on news, um, having a routine in the morning where he knew what was coming out, and I was always over economic releases. And I guess in a way, he's, the, the greatness was doing. They often say greatness is doing a lot of small things really well. And that was it. Was it was the little things? There was no significant. The trade strategy in itself was wasn't particularly complicated, but it was the um, you know, the level in which we we executed that that was our that was our difference. And I think everyone's well aware of the you know, failure rates within trading futures and or which or, or general day trading. You know, it's, you know, it's if you compare it to say. Elite sport, like you don't, you can't expect to win a marathon if you don't train. Like you don't, you, it's time put in for, you know, for what you take out in, in terms of, you know, if you want to operate at that elite level, if you want to be in the top 10 or 5% or 2%, then you, you basically have to do what other people aren't willing to do. And it's, you can't really describe it as a job or a hobby because in my um, experience, that's not really a, um, but that's to say, that's my experience though. I'd, if anyone, can they can please give them my phone number? But <laughs> the um, it is a zero sum game, and and it's very it's, it's tough. Like in the top ten percent will always eat the bottom ninety percent, no matter what. So you just got to make it. You got to make sure that you're in that top in that top part. You got to be doing the things that you know that they do, or or um, setting the standards, or at least having a you know a point of difference that, that puts you into that that elite category, really. So yeah. So, how long did you work with this trader before going out onto your own to to trade your own book? It was about four or five years, maybe. And he decided to have a break, and he moved he moved offshore. And essentially, I mean, as much as I um like I wanted to trade, I, I was still very I was very conservative, and I kind of didn't have the the gumption to go. So I was I was actually almost he when he was going he was moving. He said, "Well, I I don't have." I don't have a job for you, but you know you can trade. You can trade for me, and and I, so I was almost. Well, I was I'm not, not forced because I would have found a job broking, but it, it, I was pushed, and I'm very glad I did. And I'm, in, in hindsight, I should have done it much earlier. It was certainly not a. Um, I wouldn't call myself a you know very risk hungry person, and especially at that stage. So it was not not exactly a uh, a glorious story in terms of how it started, but but that sort of conservative nature and not necessarily fear, but but risk aversion is probably what kept me so consistent over you know the following sort of ten years. So yeah, well, well, talk to us about that. Like, how how did you go once you actually went out on your own and you were trading your own book? I mean. What were those first couple of years like for you? Because it had the background and I've been working with a, a very good trader, my execution and those small things were, were already sort of taken care of. Like I had a 10-year apprenticeship really. So it um, so it went very well. I think I had I really only had maybe two to three losing months in the first 10 years I traded. So I was just always very consistent. That was doing those, not, but also not you know, knocking it out of the park either. Like I wasn't being slightly risk of, you know, slightly risk averse. Also has, you know, has the downside. Whilst you don't, you don't, you don't take the big hits. You're not going to get the big wins either, generally. So, but gradually towards the, um, it's probably about three or four years ago. You know, the penny dropped, and I had a foundation of capital behind me where I could take, I could take on bigger positions and risk, and I became confident. 
and was able to psychologically handle those swings. So the first, I mean, obviously in 2005, I think I started training for myself and like so whilst into the credit crisis, which was like a disaster for in terms of liquidity for this like bank bill and um, three markets. So I had to change methodology there and then going to the GFC. So volumes dropped and you know, the same thing. That, and then gradually built up to 2013 through 2015 in a, in a much more mean reverting range bound market, which, you know, and, and size just very exponentially increased. So like by, yeah, by a thousand percent sort of thing. So, but that also led to the, because I lost the, uh, you know, the the risk aversion, and the and but I had the consistency in the track record. It sort of led to a, a bit of a, a sense of arrogance, basically, which led to my you know, first significant hit, which I thoroughly deserved because I started to get a bit of a um, an assumption that I, you know, I don't lose. And as soon as you start thinking that, and you know, there's consequences. Okay. Well, let, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, just going off uh, something Tony had mentioned to me when he first reached out, he said, you know, just, and I just want listeners to understand how consistent you were leading up to this point. You only had two losing months. I mean, you can correct me if, if this is not true. I look, it'd be, in the first decade, it'd be two to three losing months, but now I'm minimal. So, what happened in 2015? What, what went wrong there? Essentially, like I, I, I was a situation in the market probably three months prior, and I had been doing very well coming off of my best year ever, and I, um, and I, I took someone on in the market, and and I got lucky basically. Well, not didn't I didn't get lucky, but I, you know, I won, and I think that definitely created a, a bit of a, a god complex, I guess, in a way, like, and which kind of set me up for the next time, which was in March, like, two thousand fifteen. Where that probably made the uh, the fall in March significantly worse. It was a, that you know that constant run, and I also um, I'm a very goal oriented person, and I you know I I sort of started to feel like I'd achieved. I'd you know I'd become a partner and, and taken over a, a prop shop that that I was at, and you know I'd started the trade association, and that was going um, in Australia, and that was going well, and I was tra- I'd sort of I'd achieved the things I'd sort of set out to achieve, and. And without, I don't think I realised until after the significance of you know, not having a goal was, you know, not only was it fairly hollow, the dream's much better than the uh, than the maintenance of a dream. So, and so I, I think I just, I wasn't necessarily bored of a lack of direction, and and that combined with arrogance, and I, and I just took on a position far too large for the market conditions, and because I was essentially, you know, well, it was. Um, I hadn't had any major hits before. Like even our risk was like, well, you know, it's um, the risk department sort of thing was like it, it had never happened before. Basically, I mean, obviously there was there's delta loss limits and all those sorts of things, but it it was just a um, you know, it, it was a, the thought that it wouldn't it wouldn't happen to me or didn't apply to me, and and which made it you know, made it a lot worse. And it was. Half a year, you know, six to seven months of a medium to good year in foot lost in four hours. And it, it's kind of because I'd never really lost before, it actually hit me probably a lot harder than, um, than it would even an amateur trader. It's like because I'd never had to deal with the situation before. And so I just was very ill equipped. So, how did this trade go so wrong? You, you said you took on a very big position, but to lose. I think you said six to seven months of a good year's profit in just a couple hours. I mean, that 
were there any other factors that, that played a part in this? I don't want to sound like I'm making ex- excuses for it, but there were, I mean, there were triggers, but at the end of the day, the responsibility lie, lie with me for, for the fact that I should have removed myself from the situation. But there was, you know, I had a blackout at my house and I lost the, the first, so probably 20% of the evening with basically because I, I couldn't call out. I, in the, um, it, was, you know, it was a lightning strike and mobile towers went out. So I'd lost a significant amount of money <laughs> with not being able to cancel my orders. And but when but I didn't calm myself down when I came back on and got everything back up and running, and you know it was just a spot, a perfect storm of you know of, of um, bad personality traits. So immediately chasing, getting very angry, and thinking that like I'm usually quite good. I'm quite good at you know, hedging my way out of trouble or whatever. And, and I I essentially tried to fix it all in in too short a period of time in a bad headspace, and you know and then. The position gets too large, and then it was large enough that there wasn't enough liquidity generally for me to get out. Being a, it was a, it was a rollover period as well, when where the correlations um, tend to tend to very much decouple. So all of my normal hedges didn't didn't exist. So I ended up with an outright position, which you know, I wasn't an outright trader. Like generally, I was a, a relative value trader. So. It was just it just snowballed, and but it, it could have very well easily been solved by if I had someone to say calm down or or but it, yeah I, I let my headspace usually I'm 99.9 percent of the time I'm I'm very level and very calm so it's almost like stress thresholds for the average person are you know say they're a 20 an inch, an inch wide for instance but because people you know in, with the normal stress threshold will regularly have, not a freak out, but they'll regularly experience points of where things overwhelm them. But uh, there's a disadvantage as well being having a like a, a broad stress threshold because the irregularity at which you actually break means that you, you're actually far less capacity to, to, to deal with it. So it's, it's like a, a breakout and a standard, standard deviation breakouts and, and, you know, in trades and technicals like once it, you know, once it gets through, point where it hasn't normally got gotten to you know there's <laughs> there's a lot of bad stops so i should have had the experience or the you know and or the maturity enough to, to walk away and, I, and but i did the opposite so that's what i that's what i mean but i in terms of this yeah you know, the situation surrounding it is that i i don't generally like to talk about the beginning of the of the situation that night because that happens things will always happen to you that you can't avoid. It, I really feel the need to take, you know, complete ownership of the fact that that wasn't that wasn't the reason. Yeah. So let me ask you. I guess two things. Have you done anything to sort of safeguard yourself in the event that something like this happens again, in terms of like blackout or you know you, you don't have access to power? Yeah, I've, I've got two UPSs and. Uh, sitting in, in my screens in here, and I've got a petrol generator that'll run me for thirty hours. So, okay, and so you got those installed after this for this particular reason? Yeah, basically. So, and it really led me to to really tighten up my redundancy measures. So, you know, in terms of, I got a second, I got a secondary system in case my my system went down. You know, we we're, were two separate brokers. And I basically, I, I got a, you know, I plug in the, you know, the old the handset phones, the normal, you know, house phones. They don't need electricity, so I actually had to go and 
I'd try and find one of the, one of those, which was quite difficult because, and and basically make it um, make myself a little bit more bulletproof, and even to the point of I had a system failure that um, a few days ago, but I have you know a secondary computer with everything very loaded on it that I've just I can literally like all I got to do is switch the screens, and I mean, I'm back up. So I mean that's not probably you know, measures that anyone below a day trader would, would necessarily need but if you sort of think about it like a redundancy package which I'm actually, I'm actually looking at putting together um, not not so necessarily as a business because it wouldn't be the volume wouldn't be good enough but like just uh, like if you spend $1,200 you can you can possibly avoid a you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar incident and it, I think it's something that a lot of people overlook is that it seems like a lot of money at the time, but you know it's it's definitely a um it's yeah having it happen to me probably or similar situations happened three times that you know it's it's sort of money well spent really insurance worthwhile having yeah it's, it's it's yeah when you buy insurance for your house or your car so it's 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 a very it's a one off insurance policy I suppose yeah yeah and it's probably tax deductible <laughs> exactly. And the other thing I was going to ask you, how did you, okay, so let's fast forward to the following day or the next couple of days. How did you move forward from this? Like you'd just taken the biggest hit in your career. Like you said, you, you weren't in a good space. How did you handle this event in the, in the coming days, uh, like moving forward? And, and how long did it actually take you to recover from this loss? Immediately, actually, that little bit of arrogance or, or self-confidence or whatever you want to call it, I made a lot back very quickly, like the following day. And it wasn't really till the weekend when I just sort of got to, you know, just sit down and take stock when, it, you know, the, the gravity of it hit me. So that was kind of when, and also having, when you go from being you know, Mr. Consistent and people, you know, I, you, know you start to doubt you. Know, I had my, you know, having your first first discussion with with risk you know in your in your career sort of thing like it did rattle me a little bit and it probably took probably oh, i was about six months maybe five and a half months six months to make it to make it back in, in full but it, it there was definitely an inconsistency in my uh, in my trading which had never been there before because it, it was um i couldn't balance the being a very confident trader and also trying to get back to being a little bit more respectful of risk management. So I, it took me a while to find the balance. And yeah, it was the first time I really had you know, probably two voices in my head instead of you know, knowing knowing what I needed to do. I think I had up until that was the point where I just you know, I had the three losing months or two. On what, I think I had maybe three, three losing, two or three losing months over the next six so it it definitely affected me, but it also realistically strange to say but was probably one of the better things that happened to me because it, there was a complacency in my strategy, things were going well, so i wasn't looking at I wasn't looking elsewhere for ways to improve and develop and I basically just, I started to learn how to how to safeguard myself so I, mean, I you know put in place a routine for when i have you know when I have a bad day. I now feel equipped to cope with it, and not not in a uh, not in the sense of you know, I'll be right because I mean you know I've been doing this forever. It's it's uh, you know it's much more of a you know, ref, you know reflective and you know, having regaining your respect for the market a little bit. So sure, okay, Mark. Well, we're getting on a little bit, but there's still one thing I'd really like to speak with you about, uh, and you've kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier. You said that. You know, you feel that your edge in the market has gotten 
smaller over the past, you know, 15 years. And more recently, you've been getting into more quantitative methods of trading, you know, pursuing more systematic strategies. How come? I want to ask you that. I mean, is it just because you feel your edge or the particular way that you've been trading is getting tougher? What's the attraction to these quantitative methods of trading? It's definitely a. Uh, it is a tougher market, but it's, it it you would generally I would generally find a way. It's a desire to be a much broader scope of, of strategies, uh, more scalable strategies. But I guess what it comes down to is that who I'm competing against now is is people who run systematic and quantitative strategies, uh, primarily. You know, it used to be trader on trader generally, and I guess the critical mass of, of volume and reaction was we're, we're human beings, and that is that's changed. And I'm I'm not up against a, one guy sitting in a terminal now. I'm up against a you know a team of you know an actuary, a math or a mathematician, or a coder and a, um, a coder and quant like, and looking for you know probably significantly less return on capital. Then over a broader, a broader amount of contracts over three shifts instead of you know a human being can do like one or two one or two shifts a day tops in one market like um, a quant strategy can do you know <laughs> can trade twenty markets three shifts a day and they don't get tired they don't get emotional that so and I just realised that the rule not the rules had changed the competition had changed and so I had to learn the new playbook. I had to um, improve myself and and know and really adapt to my methodology to who I'm competing against because it's as I keep saying it's a zero sum game. So you've got to be better than the best people. And now they those sets of teams are, are sort of not necessarily dominating, but they've t- taken advantage of the inefficiencies in of, of the you know of human traders, and that's why there's been a large level of attrition. So, how have you gone about approaching this? Because, you know, your last 15 years, you've been primarily a discretionary trader. I think that's fairly accurate to say, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, how have you, how have you approached this kind of new way of doing things? There's a, a quite a good article that um, I read recently that explained, much more concisely than I'm probably going to put it now. I think there's a very distinct gap in both intuitive traders and logical traders or logical strategies because they they both need the, uh, to be very good though I think they both need each other but I mean, I mean have you ever seen a an IT guy and a trader try and have a conversation it's you know, it's, it's quite interesting because they, they don't have a level of respect for each other's expertise so you know, maths maths guys will always stick to the maths, and and the, the traders will have you know more of a more of an intuitive based, adaptive unconscious. I think they call it. I mean, I don't like using the word gut feel because I think it really discredits you know the intuitive skill that you know a, a, a discretionary trader has or a successful discretionary trader has. But you know, abstract, you know, the use of abstract reasoning, pattern recognition, which is just the reason I can't explain it is because it's. It's an, it's an unconscious absorption over many many hours in front of the screen, which but the mathematical strategy style job of trading shops or trading groups they just they don't have. I'm I'm trying to with the two I've got two young guys working for me. Yeah, this is going to sound strange, but specifically with no previous experience in the particular field. But obviously, back, um, Tony has a you know he's got a very strong background in maths, and um, and Michael's got, he's um, 
he's very much more that abs, you know abstract or creative side. So and I'm tr- and I'm essentially trying to avoid doing what everyone else has done in that space and try and marry up the two you know, forms of thinking because I, I, I really think that it, there's a definite advantage for. Uh, and a, a human trader with armed um, with the efficiency of a an algorithm or an algorithmic team or a mathematical team or statistics would would be quite um, a sight to, to behold, I think. And until until I get to a point where I'm stuck, I'm really trying to avoid bringing someone into because I, I don't want to um I don't want to blinker or um, uh, reduce the scope of looking in areas that we um. You know, looking at areas that we haven't, you know, that other people haven't looked in before, like that, but really avoiding that, using the confirmation bias or you know, similarity bias. Like people tend to gravitate towards things that are similar and things that back up their argument. So, and it's, it's a great book, uh, the new book by Michael Lewis, uh, which uh, the Undoing Project, and the first, you know, the first chapter is very much about. Um, I mean, he found in Moneyball that the um, the scouts, when they were when they were in the draft, they no matter how much they said they were you know they were being unbiased, they went through and basically proved that they were. The first impression was always you know was was always made they were always made on terms of like they tended to like players that were you know that used to play like them or they um I mean on a, on a race point of view basketball that was, was the example they were using you know there was. There was never an Indian player in the in the NBA, so the people had tried. They just wouldn't get picked out of uh, when when in fact their statistics were um, were comparable, if not better. But it was it was just it was a, it's a great insight into the human brain subconsciously makes a lot of decisions, and and those biases the mathematical and algorithmic side can fix, but the um, creativity side. Realistically, only a human can a human can do because the, it's the amount of complex calculations and the the, the swiftness of you know being adaptive that you know I think could complement each other. So, yeah, I think that movie or even the book. I haven't read the book, but I've watched the movie Moneyball is a is a must watch for every trader, for sure. Yeah, it's. I mean, look, it's just I really try to make an effort to push myself to not surround myself with. People, of, not necessarily people of like mind, but I try to really try to challenge myself to talk to people who, you know, do something different to me, and not not in a, in a dismissive way, but and but just to try and get a, a different outlook. Particularly, like a lot of people, I've, I've noticed a lot of locals or prop traders, if they're having a bad run, they'll you know they'll always cuddle up to someone who's who's having a bad run too. So it's almost a um, you know, oh, it, it's okay because everyone else is having a bad run too. But whereas I sort of try and do the opposite. You know, well, if I'm having a, a particularly poor run, I'll really try and force myself. And as much as it, it can be painful it, it, to someone who's who's doing really well, because I, I see it as a as a way like you can you can learn what to do to change, or and or at least you can you can hopefully pull in some of that positivity. Absolutely, very good, Mark. Well, let's leave it at that for now. I know you don't really have much in the way of like an online presence or online profile. Um, is there anything you want to mention? Like if someone wants to get in touch with you or find out more about you, I think you're probably on LinkedIn or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's, I've got LinkedIn and I've got oh, at 42 trading is, is a Twitter. And I've, I've got a, a sort of bit of software, dualmouse.com, which is a, a dual cursor product for sort of designed for, you know, 
for traders, essentially, you know, to be able to be collaborative and system share and things like that. So, what's the link for that? Jewelmouse.com, D-U-A-L-Mouse.com. Okay, excellent. And at 42 Trading on Twitter. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no problems. All right, Mark. Well, well, let me just say, thank you very much for, for doing this. I've enjoyed speaking to you. So, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders. But rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. Chat with Traders.